we realized so much of what we wanted to build was not really just a product, but an experience. And I think that was a really early insight that then um, really played out when we really began began getting a, a big following. And ultimately, by the end of the, of the season in November, we would have lines every single Saturday and just tons of people excited to to try our food. It was because of you know an entire year's worth of getting to know our, our customers that enabled us to then grow them seeing the passion that we had for the experiences that we were trying to create and ultimately all we were trying to do is solve our own problem in Hoboken of, of, of going to a place that you, where you can eat healthy and, and you're also treated super well. Thanks for joining me once again on the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Super excited today to introduce you to Dan Landano and Dan Sobzi, co-founders of a bi-coastal concept called Alfalfa. What's their menu? Salad and donuts. You might think, well, that's unusual, but you got to stay tuned because their story is interesting. They started from very humble beginnings, virtually no restaurant experience prior Farmer's Market to locations now in New Jersey and California. They're doing well. We're going to talk all about their challenges, past challenges, experiments, current challenges, and what their secret to success really is. So stay tuned. Thanks to the sponsors of this week's episode, Pop Menu, Verge Funding, The Birthday Club, and of course, the Restaurant Rockstars Academy. Now, on with the episode. You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Guys, I've always believed in systems to run a really effective restaurant. They say you have a system if you can walk away and leave your place for a day, a week, or a month. And it's just as successful, just as profitable when you return, if not more so. Now, the staff are really the foundation of this. And it all comes down to the word empowerment. You know, if you've got really great people and if you can develop those people to have your back and to run it as if they owned it, treat everything as if they had to pay for it, that's a super powerful system. Once you have the staff in place, it really comes down to three things. It comes down to, one, staff training. Development, recognition, and rewards to create what I call your dream team. How to empower your team to think and act like owners and to treat everything as if they owned it and had to pay for it. And to deliver amazing guest service experiences to your customers. To serve and sell because sales are the lifeblood of your business. Not allowing order takers on the floor, but teaching everyone to recognize opportunities and make suggestions that we know the customers will enjoy and appreciate. It all comes down to training, training, training. Number two, cost controls and maximizing profit. You need to know your critical financial numbers on a weekly basis, and it only takes 10 minutes, but you need to understand these things. How about your daily break-even? How much it costs you to open the doors to your restaurant each day? Inventory is not just walking around and figuring out what your order is that week. It's knowing the true value of your goods on hand at any given point in time. And you need this information to be able to calculate your true food and beverage costs. Your labor costs are also important. And running a weekly labor analysis against sales. If you know these things, I can teach you 
how to maximize your profit and control your costs. And then number three is what I call marketing firepower and affinity. You know, affinity is defined as a really powerful sense of loyalty and belonging where your customers become raving fans and they're like an army of brand ambassadors spreading the word for your restaurant. Well, all of this is included in the Restaurant Rockstars Academy. If you really want to take your restaurant to the next level, post-pandemic, things are heating up, customers are coming back, Now's the time to really maximize your opportunities, maximize your sales and profits, and create that dream team staff. Check it out at restaurantrockstars.com. It's the Restaurant Rockstars Academy. Rockstars, there are many elements to consider when growing your restaurant. Are you connecting with diners enough and with the right message? Could your kitchen be putting out more orders than your dining areas have room for? Well, it can be overwhelming, especially when the reason you got into this business is for the food and the people. That's why restaurants get Pop Menu. Pop Menu is the marketing tech platform designed to make growing your restaurant easy, so you don't have to grow it alone. With Pop Menu, you can capture more guests and their preferences through your restaurant's website that's designed to easily collect contact information and data so you can see what your guests love and why they dine with you. Connect and build authentic relationships with guests by using modern technology that personalizes marketing. Make all your systems work better together, improve margins, and conquer the chaos of your restaurant's digital presence. Pop Menu has a special offer for my listeners. For a limited time, get $100 off your first month, plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash rockstars. Go now to get $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash rockstars. Hey, welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, and with me, Dan and Dan. Hey, Dan and Dan, how's it going today? Roger, how are you? Great. Super excited to have you guys. This is a really exciting story and concept. Is at the core of entrepreneurship and having an idea and a brainchild and then growing that concept and all the bumps and experiments along the way and then finding success and then growing by coastal. I mean, that's huge. So we're going to be talking about your concept today called alfalfa. But before we do, we're going to talk about your backstories. And if you guys have ever worked in the restaurant or hospitality business before alfalfa, tell us. Great. Thanks, Roger. Uh, so my name is Dan Landano, and uh, I'm actually originally from Colombia. So I was born in Colombia, and I moved to the States when I was eight. And my first job before going to college was in restaurants. So uh, I worked as a dishwasher and then as a waiter. And then I was actually promoted to being our salad chef at this little Italian restaurant in, in the town that I grew up in, New Jersey. Um, but yeah, I went on and, and actually my restaurant experience didn't come back around full circle until uh, five years ago when we co-founded Alfafa. So I went to Cornell. I studied mechanical engineering. I wish I went to the hotel school. Uh, you know, at the time, I didn't know. Famous that's hotel school. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Uh, amazing alumni that have been really helpful uh, actually over the years. Uh, and I spent eight years in management consulting actually at a college. And so I learned a lot about business. I learned a lot about problem solving uh, and a lot of skill sets that I think are actually really helpful in the restaurant industry. Um, but yeah, when we started this and you know, Dan can talk a little bit about our founding story, uh, we were super outside in. Uh, you know, We didn't really come in with preconceived notions and uh, we really kind of started everything that we do today uh, from scratch with no experience really operating restaurants. Uh, and so, it. yeah, it's been amazing. I, I serve as our co-CEO and uh, really excited to kind of continue on the journey and, and kind of continuing to inspire joy. 
That's super cool. Yeah, what a great story that is. And again, that just speaks to the core. You mentioned something before we get into Dan's origin story. I'm really interested in, you know, your the business skills that you developed, you now apply to the business. And I'm a huge believer in systems and systemizing operations. And there's so many restaurants out there where the owner operators are just tied to the business and they're just kind of running by the seat of their pants. And it really comes down to those financial systems and marketing systems and, you know, human resources systems and having everything dialed so that literally the place runs without the founder, even though you want to be part of it, there's an exit strategy there. So I'm really glad that you, you brought that up. Cool. Um, Dan, why don't you tell us about the founding story and where the brainchild came from and tell us the year that all this started, the idea generation, what the process was like starting this company. Take us back. Yeah. Uh, first of all, thanks for having us on the podcast. Super excited <clears throat> to share Thank the story. Um, yeah. So Dan Sobsey, also one of the co-founders as well. Uh, Alfalfa actually started as an idea in 2017 on a whiteboard in our apartments. So uh, myself, it. Andrew, and Dan, we all lived and worked close to each other in the metro New York area. So uh, we all worked in Manhattan. And then, you know, at the time, we kind of just zoomed out. Uh, we were always very entrepreneurial. We loved business. Growing up, my parents actually owned and operated an organic grocery store, super mom and pop shop. My father would go to the market twice a week, handpick everything at Hunts Point. So I grew up around that entrepreneurial uh, business mindset. So anyway, uh, all together, 2017, we've always been shooting business ideas back and forth at the Espresso Bar in Midtown. And we just zoomed out and we're like, we love food. Um, and with the lunch options in our area we and healthy options, we just felt that they were insufficient. And so zooming out, we looked at uh, there's 20,000 McDonald's, there's 15,000 Subways. And looking at the salad and uh, the salad category in particular, I think there was less than you know 200 stores of the major players. Uh, so we just we looked at the data and almost couldn't believe it. And a lot of our problems really rose from when we got home after working all day in the city. We were eating at the bar across the street, uh, whether it was a mixed salad or an attempt at a healthy meal. Uh, it just wasn't doing it. So that's uh, alfalfa star is a whiteboard concept, and. Shortly after that, uh, we had a few meetings and people were telling us about starting a business and all of the things it took. And we had this master idea. Yeah, we're going to you know, raise some money and do this big store and all these things. And we actually had a meeting where someone sat us down and was like, listen, kids, it doesn't work that way. You need, you need to work your way up from the bottom. So uh, that meeting actually really changed our philosophy on starting, starting a business, starting small and really getting our hands dirty. So uh, in 2018, uh, you know, we were iterating a lot more, just coming up with the concept. And we ended up getting a chance to be a farmer's market vendor at the Garden Street Farmer's Market in Hoboken. So we were actually, and that was in May 2018. So we were the first vendor at that farmer's market to sell live food. All the other vendors were farmers and grab and go frozen foods and prepared foods. So we were actually, uh, you know, every single Friday, we would prep at a commissary kitchen in our apartments, even though we weren't allowed to, because you have to do whatever it takes. Um, and we ended up uh, setting up shop every single Saturday from 8 a.m. till 3 p.m. 
uh, selling our salads. We put our heads together, came up with a really small core menu of four items. And we just, you know, we, we worked our tails off and we talked to every single customer using my father's uh, produce background. We ended up sourcing really high quality produce uh, with the local grocery store that my father ended up selling. So we just started to build a story and uh talking to customers, people really felt the need like, wow, like this is, this is a really great concept. The food's delicious. It's high quality. And we really need something like this here. And just every single weekend having those conversations really validated our business idea. And towards the end of the farmer's market, uh, I actually remember I had left my job in finance um, in the fall prior. And during our farmer's market period of May, 2018 through November, 2018, I remember hopelessly walking around Washington Street looking for a lease space. Uh, you know, we had bid on a few spaces. Most of the landlords told us, you don't have the experience to do this. No idea what you're talking about. Uh, so it was, you know, it was a hopeless six months. And then actually towards the end of the month, uh, towards uh, December, uh, my mother, by chance, uh, she was actually an amazing home chef. She ended up sparking a conversation with a family friend and a retiring restaurateur who is retiring his uh, luncheonette diner on Washington street. Uh, so she was like, you guys need to talk to him. I think there's something here. So we ended up uh, crafting an email and actually proposing, Hey, we would love to do a pop-up in your space. Um, give us a couple months, let us prove ourselves and let's just see what happens. So after uh, two months working Every single day, every single night with the staff of you know myself, uh, my co-founders, and uh, two prep cooks, uh, we were selling the alfalfa menu from the farmer's market as a pop-up in the luncheonette uh, on 11th and Washington, which is where our current store is. Uh, so that would be during the day, we were a ghost kitchen from you know 9 to 5. And then from 5 to 9, when the diner closed, we would convert it into a makeshift alfalfa. Uh, you know, we would bring up, uh, we would, you know, drop the drapes with our logos, set up this makeshift salad line. It was just a labor of love. Like we knew financially, this is not going to make anything, but we knew just every customer interaction, every salad we sold, uh, every review we got was just making, uh, was just, you know, building the footsteps for what would come. And at the end of two months, uh, after sharing our PL and really just our tenacity and our, um, our mission and our vision, uh, we ended up taking over that space and the restaurateur retired. So that's where we started uh, with our first store. And I, what I'll add to that is the concept really started as a healthy food concept. Uh, we were just selling, you know, four very basic salads that we iterated and came up with at the farmer's market. But when we first opened, um, there was a baker who existed there who was making cakes and donuts and sort of pastries. Uh, and we needed staff. So we looked around and we're like, you're hired, you're hired, you're hired. One of them turned out to be the baker. And we were like, hey, this guy makes incredible desserts and pastries and donuts. So we ended up bringing donuts on the menu, reinventing the old recipe to make it more of an alfalfa recipe. And what we noticed was the combination was bizarre, but it made people think twice about coming into our place for the good reasons of like, hey, this is interesting. What's going on here? And the more we were in the store, the more we realized that people just felt happy in our store and this salad and donut thing was something was brewing there. And 
we learned um, after a lot of reflection and operating, we thought that we are healthy guys at heart. Uh, we, but we also believe in indulgence and just happiness. So um, we ended up, you know, coming together and actually settling on that our mission is to inspire joy through balance, and that's where the salads and the donuts and the wraps. And also the additions of the breakfast burritos and the coffees just all comes together and creates that great environment. Okay, that's quite a story. So joy through balance, I get the happiness part. And obviously the vibe of the store contributes to that. I'm going to get to that. But before we do, let's talk about, you mentioned the donuts got it sort of reformulated to meet more of the alfalfa sort of ethos. Um, is that in terms of a more healthier donut or it's still an indulgent donut that adds the joy to your healthy balance that I'm eating healthy with the salad, but I want to indulge a little and have a donut. Tell me about that. I'm a little confused. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, we, we wanted it to be an indulgent snack, but really not too heavy. So we use uh, non-GMO fry oil. We actually recently made our donuts all gluten-free. Um, so we work with like really high quality ingredients. You really don't, you don't really feel it. it's just a treat. Um, okay. and what gotcha. we found was, yes. And, and, you know, what we found was, uh, our donut sales are definitely better on the weekends. Um, but at the same time, they're just meant to be just a, a small treat. Okay. Yeah. Do you have multiple, like lots of varieties or is it like a couple of signature flavors or how does that work? Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we have a, a rotating menu. We have five core flavors, and then we try to iterate and uh, create new flavors seasonally. Nice. I'm sure they're huge on weekends. If people just take boxes of donuts out of the place, they might eat a salad, but I'm taking donuts home. Or That's really, yeah, I, I love that. I, I mean, you got the coffee, you mentioned burritos, you've got salads, of course, you've got bowls, all that kind of stuff. So really well-rounded menu here. Let's go back to the farmer's market transitioning to the pop-up did a lot of those people that kind of discover you at the farmer's market kind of follow you to the pop-up and that kind of seeded your core audience or did you do any specific marketing to attract attention when you finally became a bricks and mortar like tell us about the marketing story and how people the buzz built and you know people that had like-minded thoughts about i want to eat healthy or i i suddenly discovered something great i'm going to tell people was there a big buzz in the marketplace and people just said hey you got to check out this place alfalfa what's your story there yeah uh i would say it, it was really those weekly customer interactions that we were having uh all throughout our, our early days uh and like dan said i mean the tenacity to be there at 8 a.m setting up this tent uh every saturday uh, and, and being there all day and all the elements and then talking to people. And a lot of them were like, you guys are crazy. Why are you doing salads out in a farmer's market? Like, this is so hard. And they were right. It was really hard. Um, but through those conversations, we started talking about what's important to us and, you know, eating healthy. And we realized so much of what we wanted to build was not really just a product, but an experience. And I think that was a really early insight that then um, really played out when we really began, began getting a, a big following. And ultimately, by the end of the, of the season in November, we would have lines every single Saturday and just tons of people excited to, to try our food. And so it really wasn't an overnight, you know, kind of home run. Um, when we got into the pop-up, it was because of, you know, an entire year's worth of getting to know our, our customers that enabled us to then grow uh, the pop-up audience. And then by the time we opened our real store in uh, March of 2019, 
uh, we did already have an existing uh, base of, of customers. And it was really just, again, to Dan's point, them seeing the passion that we had for the experiences that we were trying to create. And ultimately, all we were trying to do is solve our own problem in Hoboken of, of, of going to a place that you, where you can eat healthy and, and you're also treated super well. And you leave that experience feeling better than when you walked in. Uh, and, and that's all we've been trying to scale for the past five years. So it's a fast, casual concept, and obviously efficiency and speed of service is really important. Do you prep a lot of these salads in advance, even though we're talking about high-quality ingredients and made from scratch and all that kind of stuff, but how quick can you serve people, especially when there's a line out the doors? Was that a challenge? Have you sort of ironed the bugs out of that? Yeah, uh, I would say it was definitely a challenge for us, um, but we have been fortunate enough to hire a really talented skilled team that's actually been with us since day one uh, four years ago in the Hoboken store that has actually you know we are very low ego we listen to people uh from a non-restaurant operator perspective we were all ears listening to our staff on how this can you know best operate so we ended up building a lot of internal systems together um salads went from being made by us in 15 to 20 minutes with a six-person line to 30, you know, 15 to 20 seconds uh, with a full team. So we've really scaled up uh, our production. And a lot of that just comes from building systems with the team, listening and, and always being open to feedback. Yeah. Well, there, there are seats in the stores too, right? There's like outdoor patios, it looks like in Santa Monica, and you have indoor seating as well. And uh, people take out a lot of this food. You've got online ordering. All that tech is in place. But tell us about this square footage of each location right now. Because there, I believe there's four locations or there's three with one coming quickly. It's like, tell me about that. Yeah. And so we're currently operating three stores. We're opening our fourth in LA uh, in the next uh, two months. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think from the very beginning, we kind of thought from a first principles perspective, how to approach our real estate strategy. And so the idea was, we wanted to make it to your point really quick, where you can walk in and quickly get your food. And so what we discovered a little bit by accident is that if we don't have the food out in front of you and the salad line in front of you, and we actually divide up our team between folks that are focused on the food and focused on the experience, which is not a new concept in restaurants, of course, but it felt new in the salad space in the fast casual space. What we found is that we could actually hire and retain way better talent that was way faster and better at the food side of things. And actually, they would they love those jobs even more uh, because they don't, you know, a lot of folks don't want to deal with customer experience. They just want to focus on the food. And then same thing, we're able to hire and train and, and retain folks who are really focused on hospitality and the experience. And what we found is that ultimately we could we today can perform, you know, very, very quickly. Uh, with leaner staff than than a lot of the players in the space, and ultimately um, the the customer experience, you know, when they walk in, it, it's really nuanced. You know, it, it begins to feel less like a restaurant that's like super busy and more like a place where you want to spend time and that makes you happy and where you can happen to get a great meal. And that's that's actually pretty important to us. So, has labor and staffing been a challenge in any of the stores, or you've created sort of a, an environment that people are really happy working in, and you know that joy and balance thing obviously translates to your staff. But has it been a challenge finding labor? Like everyone's struggling with that, as you know. Yeah, I, I think um, labor will always be a challenge. I think we've you know from day one, we believe that um, retention creates consistency, which creates a much better product and customer experience. So we've just focused a lot on our training and development programs internally. And, uh, you know, we feel that 
from the second somebody walks into the door, it actually starts with the interview of what our culture is about. So building out our values, uh, sharing our mission, talking about the story and making sure that people understand why they're there and focusing on the why versus just, you know, just cut lettuce, just cut a tomato. We're talking about the much bigger picture. And uh, obviously everything's always a work in progress with training and development, but it's something we take super seriously. And we've been very fortunate enough to find great people who have really, you know, stuck around and um, continue to grow the network. So, uh, yeah. All right. Walk us through walking into a typical alfalfa location and obviously color plays a part and vibe and ambiance and all that. How would you describe the vibe of your stores? Are they all different? Are they all sort of uniquely themselves or do they, is there a common thread? If I went into, you know, the Santa Monica store versus the Jersey city store versus the Hoboken store, you know, tell me, is it all the same? Is it different? Yeah. Do you want to take that in? <laughs> uh, sure. So uh, in terms of the, different alfalfa experience. So I, I would say we're predominantly a uh, digital business. So I would say, you know, anywhere between 60 to 80%, depending on the season will be, uh, you know, have a slew of digital orders. Uh, and then, you know, in terms of, um, in terms of our vibe and the aesthetic of the store, we actually work with a designer who's a really close friend of ours, who spends a lot of time in each neighborhood that we want to open. And we really try to make it feel like your local alfalfa. It's really not a cookie cutter approach at all. Nice. Uh, and we take that down from you know design all the way into our sourcing. So for example, in Hoboken, we ended up buying our uh, fresh mozzarella from next door from a family who's been making it for 40 years by hand every single morning. So uh, not only you know taking that local design aesthetic approach to making sure that it feels comfortable, not chainy, um, and also just refreshing and, and bright, but also telling that local story and connecting with local suppliers and the community. Who came up with the name and why alfalfa? Obviously, it's got a connotation of health to it or healthy choice food, but did you throw a zillion names at the wall and that one just stuck? Like, how did, how did you come up with the name and what is it supposed to evoke? Yeah, pretty much that. You know, we literally had a gazillion names on our whiteboard. Uh, and I uh, have to hand it to our, our third co-founder, Andrew. I think he was the one that put off off on the board. And, uh, you know, we all liked it for different reasons. Um, you know, it just looks beautiful when you look at it. There's some symmetry to it. To your point, it connotes health, which is really fundamentally what uh, we were going after. Um, I happen to like it because it started with an A. So as a startup, you're like, well, you know, if we're going to end up on any list, it'd be great to be at the top. So uh, let's let's go with the one with the A on it. Uh but yeah, it really was as simple as that. Um, and, you know, obviously there's the movie Little Rascals and, you know, there's some yes. fun, fun things attached. Uh, right, but, right. Uh, ultimately, we just, we liked the way it looked and the way it sounded. Okay. How did the pandemic sort of shape your experience and ultimately lead to a bi-coastal location in California? Yeah, so we, our, our, our real estate strategy was really very residentially focused even before COVID. So, you know, we purposely wanted to open in Hoboken and, and serve these communities that are densely residential that are not, you know, midtown Manhattan. So, you know, COVID happened. Uh, we closed for a month like anyone else. Um, I still remember we actually closed on my birthday of all, of all days, uh, which is very depressing. And uh, after a month, you know, we, we reopened and we didn't know what would happen. And, you know, thankfully, we're so grateful our community really rallied around us and, and really supported us. And I think because, you know, frankly, we also got lucky that we happened to, to be in a very residential area where uh, our business just did very well. 
through people being at home and wanting a salad. And, and we were in the place where people lived because they, you know, they work in Manhattan and they couldn't go to work. And so around the same time, you know, certainly we were struggling with a lot of challenges and, you know, we'd have team members getting COVID and having to just take, you know, a lot of care to, to keep people safe. But through it all, you know, we, we thankfully obviously made it through. And um, I was actually moving to LA in May of 2020. Um, you know, my wife had an opportunity in LA. Um, Dan, we all had different ties to LA. So Dan uh, also spent his childhood coming to LA. Uh, his grandparents lived out here. Um, and Andrew, our third co-founder, actually lived in LA for five years. And, and really, he leads our our brand and, and partnership side and, and, and marketing. And so he really helped develop the brand to actually be very Southern California inspired uh, from the very beginning. And so we always wanted to be a bi-coastal brand and COVID felt like the right time to take a leap and try to make it happen. And I still remember um, the, the second store actually started as a joke. Uh, so uh, Dan Sopsi actually sent around a link to a spot in, in, on Main Street in Santa Monica and said, hi, and he, and he told us, hey guys, how funny would it be to try to open our second store 3000 miles away? You know, we laughed about it. It was a funny joke. And then, you know, it turns out he actually had called the broker and started looking into it. And, you know, long story short, because no one was signing a lease in, in June of 2020, especially a restaurant, um, we ended up being able to open and, and it, you know, ended up moving forward with the lease. And we we really wanted to learn how to grow the hard way because we have this, this huge vision for Alfalfa and for what we want to achieve. And we knew that uh, making it really difficult to try to do exactly what we do in Hoboken all the way on Santa Monica uh, would really make us better. Um, and so it was definitely extremely difficult. We made every mistake you can imagine, but we really came out way stronger for it. And so I think we were able to prove that, you know, not only do we have a brand that that um, is, is portable, but that the product really carries well to different communities uh, as we grow. Let's talk about startup challenges. You mentioned early beginnings had some difficulties to it. And obviously there's pivots and experiments and all that is part of starting a new concept from scratch and really building a scalable brand. Anything really stick out as being the most difficult thing to overcome or it seemed daunting at the start, but it turned out not to be so hard. Tell us about difficulties, challenges, experiments, that sort of thing. Hey there, rock stars. Let's talk birthday marketing. It's one of those critical, important details that either drive new and repeat business into your place or not. Now, very few of us are real expert marketers, but why not a program that's done for you, that targets all the customers in your area that are having birthdays? Everyone has a birthday. Why not speak to my buddy Dyson Barnett? He's a former restaurant owner operator. He knows this business, and now his company delivers birthday customers, and it's all done for you. Pick up the phone, contact my buddy Dyson, check out the link in this episode, and why not Get some marketing that you can track where you know exactly if it's working or not and what the return on investment is because so few marketing dollars that restaurant owners spend is trackable. So that's key. Dyson is pretty certain that he can get more butts in seats and not only more butts in seats, but repeat business. Once he introduces new customers to your restaurant, those people, if they have a great experience in your place, are going to come back and tell their friends. Now that's trackable and that's powerful marketing. Check it out at jointhebirthdayclub.com slash birthday rockstar. Listen, you've heard a lot of noise about the ERC tax credit. Why is it such a big deal? Because your business already paid a ton of money in payroll taxes, and more than likely, you qualify to get a ton of money back. Now, if you haven't applied yet, I'm telling you, drop everything. Drop what you're doing and figure out how to get it done. 
The truth is, and I'm speaking from experience here, it's super easy to get the money back if you let an expert do the work for you. Now get on this before the government either changes the program or runs out of money. I got hundreds of thousands of dollars back from my restaurant, and it literally saved our business. Now, you may have heard it may take many months after applying to get your money back, but that doesn't have to be the case. If you need your ERC refund sooner to run your business or to take care of some much-needed projects, you can speak with Karen Garbett, the owner of Verge Funding Group, about a bridge loan or other working capital. Now, whether you wait for your check, opt for a bridge loan or other working capital, it's likely you have a significant amount of money due back to you, so don't lose it. Now go to the show notes for this episode on our website and use Karen's calendar link to set up a time to chat with her personally about how much money your business can get back. Yeah, I I think the uh, difficulty for me personally, at least, was just trusting other people. I had never managed a team before. So uh, and my father, you know, my parents both worked a uh, hundred hours a week in a grocery store. So they never re- relinquished trust to anybody to help them. So I think for me, one of the biggest parts, uh, one of the biggest challenges was as we hired people and as we trained them was physically leaving the store and having confidence and belief that everything will be okay. So that actually took a while. Um, but I ended up learning a lot. I think all of us learned a lot about that process of you know training and development, also trusting and believing in just goodwill and, and good people and people want to do a good job for you. And they, if they are bought in and believe in what you're doing, um, you have to really trust them. So once I saw, you know, once we saw it working and we were on the floor talking to customers and the food was physically coming out and people were happy trying it, it really clicked. And yeah, that was a big challenge to overcome. And now I would say, you know, as we grow, uh, that's been something that uh, we take great pride in of, of how quickly we can fit people uh, into the brand and have them be comfortable. Okay. You mentioned you were in finance in New York and the other Dan mentioned he was a business consultant. So you understand financials and how that applies to the bottom line performance of a single location or as you grow this concept. So who's in charge of finance and what are some of the things that, um, you know, your parameters for analysis, would you say? Are you taking regular inventory? Do you know what your prime costs are? Are you monitoring labor costs and cost of goods and inflation and all this kind of stuff? Are you maximizing profit on every menu item? What what are your systems there? Yeah, so I spent a good amount of my time uh, focused on on the questions that you mentioned. I, I think what we found is that nowadays there there's some great software out there that that you can kind of implement into your uh, into your locations to have a really good sense of of, of all the prime costs and and the, and the details that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also early on uh, have had great mentors who have really kind of explained to us exactly what we need to be having as we grow from a financial. Uh, performance perspective. And we have a great team. It's it's an outsourced team that, that helps us on all our, our financials aspects. What I would maybe say is what we really have focused on it, what has really worked for us is, is really focusing on elements of the business that help the top line. <clears throat> and what we found is that if we can really perfect a, an amazing product that makes people happy every single day, and spend a lot of our energy hiring and training amazing people, minimizing mistakes, and focusing on the details. Because what you know, consumer consumers will make make a decision to order us out from here or there, you know, in a nanosecond, right? So if, if what we found is that slowly building up 
to, to having as amazing reviews as we can and, and focusing on the product and the experience really has led to uh, you know tremendous top line growth for us. And that's allowed us to really in, in invest in our team. And, and over time, uh, you know, we're very proud of having, you know, well-compensated team in, in our Alfalfa locations. Uh, we look up to companies like Trader Joe's and Costco that are known for being amazing employers. And that's what we've discovered is that if we treat our people well, make it a career that they can actually work with us and, and, and live their life, um, then, then, then it, it tends to work. And then our, actually our prime costs, you know, come into line with where they need to come in. But I think it's actually helped us to not be maniacal about them and really be very quality focused. Um, and I think it, it helps that, you know, Dan Topsy, having grown up around, you know, super high quality produce and, you know, his parents essentially built Whole Foods before Whole Foods. Um, you know, I think having that insight has really led to us uh, doing quite well from, from a performance perspective. Okay. So the logical next question would be your staff and your team and what you look for in new team members. Like what qualities do they bring to the table so that they present your brand in a positive light? And what type of training and onboarding do you do? And how do you maintain consistency of service? The whole hospitality piece really comes down to the staff, which are the foundation of your business. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> uh, staff is very important to alfalfa and we take a lot of time and, and pride in how we train them so you know beginning with the interview we always explain the concept our story a little bit and the values and we have a little internal um document that we keep which are the qualities that we're looking for so very energetic great energy asking questions um you know just curious about what we're doing and, and also looking longer term as well we want people who want to grow with alfalfa and seeing it from you know where we are now to where we are in five years. Uh, and then I would say in terms of the training piece, we've also developed a pretty regimented onboarding and training schedule where we have dedicated trainees, uh, whether it be a shift leader, a front of house or back of house manager, or a general manager um, attached to the hip, helping them, asking questions, uh, and just making sure that all the modules are completed and everything is, is really learned by the time they're fully on the schedule. Uh, we always, too, relieve any pressure or expectations. We want people to really go at their own pace. So it's not like, hey, you have to get this done in five days, and then we're going to you know, throw you right in the expo pit, and you're going to be checking X amount of orders an hour. It's not that at all. Uh, we really uh, know people have different strengths and weaknesses. And so we, we really work with people to make sure that they're given the tools to be successful. Okay, that's super. So let's talk about the training specifically, is it formal training? Is it daily training? Do you do pre-shift huddles before the door opens for business? It's like, how do you build the team spirit, the camaraderie that ultimately became your company culture? Because I'm getting the sense that you have a pretty well-defined company culture and that joy and balance thing kind of keeps coming back and it's all part of it. The happiness of the people. You said you treat them well. You build careers there. You give them opportunities. You recognize talent. You develop them. That to me is leadership. It's not management. That's a whole different you know, um, paradigm shift done to itself. But tell us a little bit about that. Um, what is the company culture and how would you describe it? Yeah, I, I would say we're very loud about our values. Um, you know, you walk into any alfalfa and, and it's it's magnetic. You can just tell when you talk to a team member that they really embody your values and they want to make you feel amazing and they want to make your day better. And, you know, we've been ingraining over time uh, different programs and, and different um, 
really, you know, just exciting initiatives to help kind of ingrain the culture. So for example, we have our values actually up in every single kitchen on the wall. And, you know, we, we also have information about uh, the Alfalfa Spirit Award, which uh, two people at every single Alfalfa can, can win every six months uh, if, if, they, if they're voted by their, by their leadership to uh, embody the, the values every single day of Alfalfa. Uh, so that's one small example. Um, right now, we're actually rolling out uh, a new set of, of sessions that will be happening uh, every single week with all team members at every single Alfalfa which are actually conversations around how any given value kind of plays out in their day-to-day. And also it, what it really comes down to is, is hiring for us at least, um, you know, leaders that on the ground are, are, are instilling energy into exchanges with their team members and, and really motivating them to every single day live out those values and really go out of their way to make the customers just feel that much more special. Um, and so I think it's a culmination of, of, of different, uh, elements, but ultimately, you know, we, I, I think it's just something that any of our team members spending time with us as, as co-founders can really kind of feel, uh, what we're ultimately trying to achieve here. Okay. Very good. Let's talk about the guest service experience. Is it, uh, how would you describe it? I mean, everyone has their own definition of hospitality, and that is the foundation of our entire industry. It's about hospitality. It's about what the guest feels, but it's it's more than just the food that you serve. It's the whole experience. It's the way you're treated by, you know, every single person that you come in contact with. If I, you know, suddenly go to an alfalfa in Hoboken, and then I go to the Jersey City one, I want a consistent experience. I want to make friends or yeah, I mean, I want to feel like I'm a regular, even if I'm a first-time visitor. How do you onboard that philosophy? You have to hire the right kind of people, and then obviously the company culture either gets absorbed by that person or not, but everyone's got their own unique personality, yet they're still delivering the, a hospitality standardized experience. Kent, how do you speak to that? I mean, what what would you say about what that means when I'm a customer walking in alfalfa, it's like, how am I treated by every person that works there? Yeah. So the way I would describe that is, you know, through one of our values, which is always serve joy. And we really hammer these home every single day with our leadership and energy is infectious. I think anytime, you know, we always preach this to our leaders where, you know, when you come into alfalfa, we understand things are going on in your personal life and things are always happening outside in life that are hard, that are easy. Uh, but when you come into Alfalfa, what the energy that you bring is what you're going to radiate. And that's going to set the tone and the mood for the whole day. For so sure. I think as soon as we, as soon as a, a manager, shift leader, uh, co-founders or come in, we just have that, that immediate focus of, listen, let's always serve joy. Let's stay customer obsessed. Let's go all in. Let's have a great day here. Um, and I think that that radiates to the whole team. Not every day is perfect. And we we understand that too. We're also realistic where, you know, we're not going to, you know, preach this, uh, you know, fake, hey, we're happy every day. I think we we endure the struggles and the positives together. And that's why we're always asking for feedback. If we get slammed on a lunch shift and someone's unhappy, we will talk about it. We'll, you know, we'll take a five minute huddle outside. We'll talk about it. And we'll always just try to reinforce um, that we're in this all together and that uh, we're not always going to be perfect. So I, I would say it's a balance between being realistic, but also having that positive energy every single day. Yeah. Okay. And, and 
I would maybe add, you know, we're actually trying to create jobs that people like to work. And, you know, it sounds crazy, but, you know, we, we have experiences, I'm sure we all have experiences working jobs that we don't like, right? Where you're doing something that just doesn't kind of bring you joy. And I think sometimes uh, certain fast casual restaurants are creating jobs where you're somewhat dealing with people, you're somewhat dealing with food. And I think really being able to hire for and create jobs where our front house team members are just focused on experience, li- literally lead them to enjoy their job more. And, and so they just do a better job at it. And then same thing with the backhouse team. You know, they're inspiring joy through the food that they're creating and they like that job and they stick around longer. And so I do think like it, it, it sometimes it can feel like putting a square peg in a round hole. And, you know, we've, we literally have meetings about like, how do we make this job better, like a better job to work and a more fun job and, and a job that, that literally someone's going to get out of bed and be like, I want to do this today. That's what we think a lot about. Your concept is very tech savvy. I think you mentioned that obviously you're looking for efficiencies. You're very much into technology that will help make the processes easier, smoother, easier for your staff to work. You already said that obviously the finances are controlled by a digital platform. Where does What other necessary tech is in use at Alfalfa? And then where does that artificial intelligence fit into this piece? And does it have anything to do with the guest experience or getting to know your customers and what they normally order? And then automatically it's like, hey, they remembered that I like the, you know, this donut without salad. Tell us about tech and artificial intelligence and what play, you know, what part that plays. Yeah, happy to. I would maybe bucket uh, all our tech enablement. So, you know, our full stack is, is actually pretty, pretty involved, but mm-hmm. really it's, it's kind of, you know, customer facing and then internal kind of facing. Um, so customer facing, um, even pre-COVID, we were really focused on making sure that it's as seamless as possible to, to order alfalfa and get alfalfa wherever you want to get alfalfa, whether it's coming in to pick it up or deliver right through your door. Um, and so with that, we made an investment in, in uh, creating our own app. We partnered with Lunchbox. Uh, so now we have uh, an amazing app, an amazing native ordering experience through a website where our guests can uh, have a loyalty account and can make it very easy to reorder your food. The price points are better through that platform for customers. And ultimately, they can continue to be rewarded with early access to to, uh, special salads that we do and and just having that tighter relationship with Alfalfa. Uh, We're also currently piloting um, uh, some more advanced analytics around how we connect with those customers and really understand their preferences. And ultimately, that will help us as we do more future menu innovation. now, from an internal perspective, there's actually a lot going on. So uh, all the way from how we are scaling our recipes across different stores, how we are communicating with our team members and scheduling them and, and, and enabling kind of a, a tight connection between our team members, and then how we communicate. Uh, you know, we have all these different channels that are actually very deep in terms of different ways of communicating across the entire organization. And then, you know, to your question around how we're using um, artificial intelligence to, to, to be better operationally, um, we've actually uh, created these, these big displays in our kitchens, in our front of house areas where uh, we built essentially our own apps to, uh, to achieve different purposes. So whether it's giving announcements to, to, to the team um, or it's putting the prep list for what we're going to prep any, every single day up on the screen um, or what the catering orders are going to be for today up on the screen. These are all things that we've been able to do. Um, we also believe believe in being lean. You know, I think um, uh, my perception is uh, it, it can be easy to overinvest and and try to hire you know uh, technology teams and 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 spend tons of dollars doing these things. And what we've been able to do is actually not do that. Uh, we have there's nowadays there's all these like third parties that you can 
have a monthly subscription for, and you don't even need coding experience. And you, we literally built our own apps through no code and low code platforms where we can actually get a lot done um, with our in-house talent or with interns or with, you know, part-time people uh, or contractors. So what we've been able to do is actually stay very lean in our tech enablement um, and ensure that uh, we're only creating what we need and we're not over-investing because fundamentally we want to have a very lean and, and healthy business. Um, we're really focused on making sure our tech investments are not just to say that we're doing tech investments. Um, they're more so uh, to actually be better than our competitors and be able to forecast how many tomatoes do we need today? How many cucumbers? And like, you know, using, uh, you know, third parties that that do have some AI forecasting in them actually answer that question for, for uh, a, a back house manager to know how much chicken to make today. Um, so yeah, it's something we're really excited to continue building on, but again, we want to be measured with how much of it we do, uh, because there's definitely a way to go crazy and, and, and do too much that no one uses. Okay. Let's talk about the menu again and perhaps, you know, inflation. Have any of your menu items had ridiculous spikes that you either had to shift to a different ingredient or take that off the menu, or you weren't able to continue to offer, you know, the value proposition to a guest because the price of a dish suddenly jumped several dollars when it used to be this. Now it has to be that. I mean, has that affected your business? We've been fortunate where a uh, majority of our menu is plant-based uh, between fruits and vegetables. Mm -hmm. uh, we also do greens. Uh, so we really saw the inflation hit on the poultry side and more on the meat, but right. you know, again, we have two chicken options. So the impact uh, wasn't too much. Uh, I, you know, I would also say that, we keep our menu super simple and we're always very ingredient driven. So, you know, sourcing local and seasonal when we can, which also helps us on price long-term. Okay. What about a community presence? Is there much community involvement, give back in the communities that you are obviously doing business in? And is that going to become a bigger part of your business? Absolutely. Um, and yeah, our, our, our third co-founder does an amazing job uh, connecting with our communities wherever we open. And so we always have, you know, different programs that we support locally. Uh, we also do uh, quite a bit through our Project Joy. So Project Joy is a series of collaborations that we have with uh, many amazing organizations. Um, one of the main ones that we work with right now is Bring Change to Mind. Um, so given that we're trying to elevate uh, as a brand from just focusing on physical health to, to also mental health through our ability to help people find balance in their lives through a salad and a donut, uh, you know, that's an organization that does an amazing job with kids in our communities, uh, giving them the language to be able to talk about mental health and, and reducing the stigma around it uh, for that next generation. So um, there's a lot that we that we're doing today. There's a lot more that we want to do in the future. Um, you know, we're we're still kind of a small brand, but we we do have big ambitions, and we think that uh, fundamentally we want to be a net positive in uh, not only our communities but also in our industry. So over time, I, I think you can expect to see a lot more from us. Excellent. Great. That's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, it's all part of the package, you know, community, um, you know, social responsibility, all those things, um, offering a healthy menu, being wellness conscious, being full of joy and balance. It all, is, you know, comes together. Let's talk a little bit about catering and how you strike a balance with catering without it impacting your core business and does everything on the menu travel well and it becomes a production line if you've got a big you know sort of a catering order that you have to fulfill and the timing of that during your busiest times i mean has that caused challenges or have you found a way to make that pretty seamless yeah that's uh, a great question uh it has definitely caused challenges but we have overcome most of them 
Uh, our catering menu is really built for larger parties. So we have, um, you know, have a catering website that we built out, but we do combo packages. So uh, the most important thing is people get the full off alfalfa experience. So uh, when we thought of the catering menu, it was really important that there was an option that included uh, salads, wraps, and donuts. And I think it's actually uh, sets us apart a bit because people really, you know, when you do an office catering or school catering, you're really just expecting a couple sandwiches and maybe a side salad. So uh, it's been very well received so far. Uh, and we've really found a way, uh, we don't have any um, different catering items that uh, differ from our normal menu. So the team is really much used to the same product, the same items, the same way it's assembled. Uh, it's pretty turnkey by now. And we also, um, for catering, uh, which is a program that we recently set up, it's called Alfalfa Recess, where we have a direct sales channel to local schools where you know, we have a bit of a smaller bowl, but free delivery and um, a cheaper price on the salad. So you know, we're trying to go uh, direct to schools and, you know, create a channel where it's affordable, healthy, and super convenient to get your alfalfa. Excellent. That's terrific. Let's talk about growth plans. Where is this concept going and what are your, what are your goals for the future? How many stores? Is it going to be a national thing? Is it going to be regional? Are you going to stick to Jersey and California? I mean, there's so much ground there and there's so many different areas that, you know, you mentioned Trader Joe's before, and I, I, you know, was in California too, and that's where I first discovered Trader Joe's. And now we have one 10 minutes away from us in Portland, and they're pretty much in certain areas. They're in Boston and all over, and, and they have a magic formula of where that concept fits and where it doesn't fit. And there's obviously demographics and, you know, population centers. Are you looking at it that much, or is it more granular right now? Like, what's your growth strategy? Yeah, I, I would maybe just start with the size of the of the market we plan and the opportunity. Um, so, you know, I, I obviously the restaurant mar market is enormous. And, you know, I really, uh, you know, we believe strongly that the salad category is is, is massively undertapped. Um, you know, there's amazing uh, peers of ours that are, are out there uh, growing their companies in the salad space. And we're really happy they exist. And, and we just think, um, you know, there's not too many of them. There's there's maybe less than a thousand kind of all in uh, in the salad category across the U.S. that are that are kind of uh, multi-unit operators. And so, you know, we're, we're really excited to just uh, continue to fill the void that I think a lot of communities around the U.S. and, and globally have uh, when it comes to uh, a great salad. And I think that our approach is really differentiated where we attack the salad category in this really balanced way. And so we think we can we can go find um, communities that are densely residential, which is kind of our key focus, uh, you know, walkable communities um, uh, in, in, in many, many parts of, of the US. And so that that's kind of the size of our, our, our vision. I think the way it plays out in the near term is you know, genuinely, we're very focused on, on being really responsible with our growth. And so we're actually purposely um, growing slowly. You know, we just opened Jersey City. Um, we're, we're really glad to see it's been really amazingly received by the local community. Uh, we're going to open here in Los Angeles, our fourth store. Um, Is that Larchmont? Did you mention Larchmont? Yeah, it's it's in the Larchmont neighborhood near. Larchmont I love College. that neighborhood. That is such a groove and eclectic mix of businesses and residential. It's a really hip part of LA. I remember it well, even though I haven't been there in a while. So I think that's a. I can see your concept fitting there for sure. 
Thank you. Yeah, no, we we think it's an amazing community, uh, and it, it is you know kind of very central to to all of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we are currently building out you know more locations. Uh, they're still confidential, but you know we'll certainly uh, follow us on the channels, and, and you'll kind of see as they as they get announced. Um, and yeah, I think as as time goes on, you know, we're just going to continue um, to to find more opportunities to continue scaling, but. We want to be very purposeful with the way that we scale and, and certainly not going to pursue any new markets until we, we feel like we're ready. You think they'll all be company-owned stores? Do you think at some point you might explore franchising? Yeah, franchising is you know is a great type of business, but our, our view is for salads, um, it, it really is very um, difficult you know, to have uh, healthy, delicious, and I apologize, this Los Angeles you know, community here. But, uh, you know, this, the salad, um, you know, category is in our view, difficult to scale through franchise because the quality is so important, the freshness and ultimately the alfalfa experience when you first walk in and how you're treated and, 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 and everything that goes behind that is, is so difficult that, you know, we really want to fully kind of own that entire experience and really know that at every single alfalfa, um, you're going to be kind of experiencing the same thing that we want you to experience. So that, that's kind of our view at the moment on franchising. Okay, terrific. Have you been able to find consistency and quality East and West Coast where everything that you serve is really comparable, even though they're coming from different suppliers, perhaps? Yeah, I would say uh, in terms of you know quality, we work with really high quality uh, suppliers and vendors. So we really haven't missed the mark on on anything. If anything, um, what we've learned is the being closer to the source, especially in California, we've had a lot of benefits there. So we've been able to, we're two miles away, sorry, we're a mile away from the Santa Monica farmer's market. So we've really embraced that. Uh, our general manager, one of our owners sometimes goes over there, uh, picks up a few fresh cases of produce and brings it back to the store. Then we end up incorporating in seasonal menus. But you know, more or less, we've really been able to um, roll out the same seasonal specials, but also tell that individual local story. So, hey, we're getting our, our peaches from this orchard in uh, near Los Angeles this week. And then, you know, these peaches in Jersey are coming from here. And people have really appreciated both sides. That's terrific. Guys, I've really enjoyed having you on the podcast. It's been super fun. And I think you got a great concept. And I wish you all the best of success. And I hope to watch your progress as you continue to grow Alfalfa. Thanks for being with us. Thanks Thank a lot. Thank you so much, Roger. Yeah, I appreciate you. And uh, yeah, it feels amazing to be among, among the folks that you've uh, interviewed. So thank you so much for the opportunity. You know, it's an interesting, unique concept. You guys are young, you're moving fast, and you got really strategic plans behind what you're doing. And I have to applaud that. And it's all about entrepreneurship and goals for the future and treating your people well. It sounds like you've got a really solid foundation on all aspects of what makes a great restaurant. So thanks for doing what you do. Thank you so much. Thanks, Roger. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Once again, can't wait to see you in the next episode. So please stay tuned and stay well. Thanks, Dan and Dan, for being inspired guests on the podcast and sharing your story. It's all about joy through balance. And again, you've proven that if you've got a concept, a unique concept, and you've got a brand in mind that you can build and a vibe and an interesting menu, you can be successful in this business even without prior restaurant experience. For those of you who 
don't have prior restaurant experience, but you're thinking about starting a restaurant, or even if you're looking to maximize the profits and success of an existing restaurant, please check out the Restaurant Rockstars Academy at restaurantrockstars.com. Thanks to the sponsors this week, and thanks to you, our audience, once again for tuning in. Can't do it without you. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.